All right, everybody repeat after me. Lord, speak to me tonight. It's okay if you talk to the person next to me. But I have to hear something from you. Amen. Go ahead and sit down. If you have your Bibles, which I encourage every one of you to bring your Bibles to church, I want you to flip with me to the book of Mark. The book of Mark. It's the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you hit Revelation, that's a little bit too far. Flip back, but not too far because you're going to end up in Psalms. Um, So go to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. How many guys love the Word of God? How many guys spend time in the Word of God every single day? It is important and vital for your relationship with Jesus to thrive and to live, for you to spend time in the Word of God every single day. Amen? Mark chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 35. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right, let's read. Let's go ahead and read. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his... his, Whoa. All right, let's try and like slow down and actually read, okay? Simon and his companions... I know it's a really big word. It's hard for me to kind of get that one. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Somebody say, that's why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. I want you to just notice that. If you've got a pen, if you're, if you're the kind of person that underlines in your Bible, I want you to notice how this guy comes to Jesus. It says he comes to him and he begged him on his knees. If you are willing to make me, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. He said, I am willing, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray real quick. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is alive. We thank you that we do not read a dead book that doesn't speak to us, but literally God, the word of God is going to become alive to us tonight by your Holy Spirit. It's going to speak to us, God. It's more important that we hear your word than we hear my word. So God, let your word go forth. Let, let the message that you have prepared go into the hearts of the people that are here. Lord, we pray and we desire to see Jesus tonight. And I pray that as we see Jesus, we would become more like him. And we thank you and love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. The title of tonight's message is, Don't Touch That. Don't Touch That. How many of you guys have ever heard that statement in your life? Turn to the person next to you and say, Don't Touch Me. All right, turn to the other person and say, you're cuter than the person on the other side, so it's okay. No, I'm just, I'm just playing. That's not okay. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't touch that. See, we've heard that. that it's kind of weird that, that, that Chris said it, said it to Dylan instead of his wife. That's, that's strange. That's strange. But we, we've, we've heard We've heard the don't touch that, haven't we? we? We've all heard that in our lives at some point. Our parents have that don't touch that. They got it down. They know exactly how to do it. Like when I was a kid and when I was growing up, I remember my mom, it didn't matter what it was, I could not touch it. Mom, can I touch your cookies? No. Mom, can I, can I touch the table? No. Mom, can I touch the food? No. Mom, can I, can I touch the dishes? No. Can I, can I touch my brother? No. 
Like anybody, anybody else have mom like my mom where you would sit in the car and you'd be sitting there and you, like, you, you would just try to annoy your brother by touching him, right? And your mom would say, just put your hands in your lap and zip your lip. And I'm just like, mom, zip your lip. What are you talking about here? We ain't in cartoon land, okay? It's not like we're just going to be like, right? It doesn't happen like that. Am I, anybody else have a mom like that? Just, just not. See, see I, I didn't understand that when I was a kid. I was like, what's the big deal? Why can't I touch that? Why can't I do this? I should be able to do whatever I want, right? And, and I didn't really get it when I was a kid. But now that I'm a parent and I have a daughter, I totally understand the don't touch that philosophy. Because literally my daughter will touch anything and everything. It's like if she's not supposed to touch it, that's what she wants to play with, right? Like, Lydia, please put the steak knives down right now. It's not, this isn't a game. I'm not playing. Don't touch that, Lydia. Don't touch it. Lydia, take the fork out of the outlet. That's a bad thing. Don't do that. Don't touch that. Right? And how many of you guys had nice, like, nice parents? My wife has got this down. Like, the nice parent that would be like, Lydia, don't touch that, please. That's not okay. Has anybody got the mom like that? See, my wife has got it down. I'm not like that at all. I'm like, Lydia, don't touch that. Beep! No, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm just trying to be transparent to everybody. You know? if, if my daughter... If you ever hear my daughter cussing, you know where she learned it, her, her Uncle Jakin. Um, but uh, don't touch that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We all know what don't touch that means. We all have heard don't touch that before. We've all kind of gotten the don't touch that kind of thing, right? Every, I'm here alone. Like people listening to the podcast are going to be like, whoa, is anybody? Like he's just preaching to an empty room, isn't he? They, some, he just got a microphone and plugged it into his computer and he's trying to act like he's cool. That's what's going on right now. So if you're here, come on, let's get some response. Say, anybody got a parent? Anybody understand what it means when I say don't touch that? Can anybody relate to what I'm saying tonight? Okay. We are so lucky in Oregon. We really are because we've got this special little plant. And we call that poison oak. And, uh, man, we are, we are just a blessed people in Oregon, aren't we? I remember when I was growing up, we used to go, and I hated this. And I, I, I don't like camping to this day because of my experience growing up. We would go camping once a month, every month of the year. Like some of you guys are thinking, so you'd like go like, you know, the summer months. No, no, no. Once a month. Every month of the year, okay? September, October, November, December, January, we camped. That's what we did as a family. We were campers, and we would camp. I don't know if, like, we actually got kicked out of our house at once a month every weekend or what, but my parents were, like, religious about camping every single month, right? And I remember that when we would go camping, we always got kind of like the talk and, the, the like, we were told about this, and they're like, listen, poison oak is when it looks like the plant is rotting, okay? So don't touch anything that looks like it's rotting. And I don't really understand what that means. I didn't really understand what that means back then, so it really didn't help me at all, right? But they said, don't touch poison oak. How many of you guys go camping? You've gotten the don't touch poison oak speech. Don't go. Don't touch it. 
You won't like it, right? And so I didn't know what poison oak was. I just got told that it looks like the plant's dying or rotting or whatever. And so I don't know, really know what it is. And I'm just, I'm just me, and I'm just going to play, and I'm just going to have fun. And I'm going to play flashlight tag. Flashlight tag, anybody? Anybody? Okay. And I'm going to play flashlight tag. And even when you're playing flashlight tag, it doesn't matter if you can see the plant anyways. Because you would, you'd still jump in it and try and hide in the poison oak plant. Anybody with me? I got poison oak so bad one time on my leg. I mean, it was, it was nasty. It was disgusting, right? It was bad. And here's the deal. God bless my mom, but she was not a doctor. And apparently she thought that it was okay to try and be a doctor for this because apparently, and I found this out after going to a real doctor to find out what in the world was wrong with my leg. Um, Apparently, the worst possible thing that you can do for poison oak is the worst thing that you can do is you cover it, okay? So just so everybody knows for future reference, if you get poison oak, don't cover it, okay? Wear shorts, wear whatever you got to, just do not cover the poison oak. My mom had my leg wrapped up in... I don't even know how, what like the right word is. Sanitary napkins or pads or something. Had my leg literally wrapped in these things, right? And so, so I go to the doctor and find out. And I, he's like, man, you got poison oak. You, you haven't been covering this, have you? And I'm like, my leg has been wrapped in, in like women's hygiene things. Like what, what do you mean you're not supposed to cover them? How is this? Like make, my mom... God bless her, but you absolutely are persecuting me. I mean, are you serious? You may not only, listen, it's bad enough that the poison oak spreads, but you got to understand being at that campsite with all the other people wearing shorts with, you know, pads wrapped around your leg. If it, it, was, it would be bad enough if it just spread. Okay, I spread. I got poison oak. I'll get rid of it later. But man, I've, I got to be embarrassed for the whole weekend and it gets worse. Just, just, I said all that to say this, avoid poison oak because nothing good comes from that. Okay. Nothing good comes from that at all. There's no, absolutely no positives that come from poison oak at all. I love this story that we just read in the book of Mark because we all know what don't touch that means. We all, we all understand what don't touch that means. Mom, can I have a cookie? No, don't touch that. Dad, uh, I like this girl. Don't touch her. Can I do drugs? Don't touch that. Can I, can I, can I drink alcohol? Don't touch that. We're to, we, we understand don't touch that. We get that. And the greatest thing that I think about this story is that it doesn't necessarily, I mean, it does demonstrate Jesus's power, but the emphasis of this story is not on the power of Jesus, but on the personality of Jesus. And when I was in youth church, we always heard this, WWJD, you got to be, what would Jesus do? If you get yourself in, I don't know why, because my youth pastor was actually Pastor Aaron. He's never talked like that. So I don't know why, why I got to make you know, my youth pastor sound like that. I hope when you guys grow up and you're doing impressions to your youth pastor, it's not like that. But uh, he, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And we, we, we handed out bracelets and we had all this stuff that said WWJD. There were books written, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And the problem is this, is almost anybody who said that statement, what would Jesus do, had absolutely no idea what the personality of Jesus was actually like. So you ask somebody, what would Jesus do? And if they don't know anything about Jesus, they just think, well, I think this is what Jesus would do. So this is probably what he would do. And this story is so incredible because there's so many stories in the Bible where we read about how powerful God is and how powerful Jesus is. But this story is not about his power. It's about his personality. See, leprosy was something 
Now, I don't want to say that healing of leprosy was common, but it's something that you read throughout the Old Testament. You're reading constantly, this guy had leprosy and he was healed of it. This guy had leprosy and he was healed of it. This lady had leprosy and she was healed of it. Constantly throughout the Old Testament, there's all kinds of healings of leprosy. So when you read about this story about how, how this guy has leprosy and how Jesus heals him, that's not really the emphasis of the story. The emphasis of the story is Jesus' personality, not his power. Now, I want you to understand something. Jesus is powerful. He has incredible power, and he can heal whatever you're going through. He can fix whatever your problem is, but that's not what this story is about. This story is is about introducing us to the personality and who Jesus really was. See, because we can't answer the question, what would Jesus do, unless we know who Jesus really is. And the problem is this. We had a generation grow up asking that question, what would Jesus do, and it us all into a series of social righteousness because we all felt like we could figure out what Jesus would do just by thinking about it. But we didn't really know who Jesus was. And you got to understand something. We got to learn the personality of Jesus. And in this story, it gives us um, two incredible things about the personality of Jesus. It gives us two incredible illustrations of what Jesus is really like and what he's really all about. The first thing that I want to bring up and talk about is that compassion is his motivation. See, sometimes when we're in church, we think that God saves us because we have the potential to be great. And we think that sometimes that that the reason that God is calling us and the reason that God wants to use us is because there's some sort of potential inside of us that he's trying to draw out to make us great. Let me share this with you. God does not want to save you because of what you can do for him. God does not desire to save you because then you'll do whatever he tells you to. He didn't come to earth because he he didn't come here and die for you because he had this great desire for you to do everything he said and for you to be everything he's called you to be. Jesus came because he loved us. Jesus came because he desired a relationship with us. See, we in church sometimes make it sound like, man, you got to get saved and then you got to get your friends saved. Well, you got to get saved. Jesus loves you and he died for you. Compassion is his motivation. See, he did not, he didn't come here because of what you could do for him. He didn't come thinking, what can you do for me? What, 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 I'll give my life if they're really worth it. That's not what Jesus came and said, but he said, I'll give my life because I love them. Because I want to be with them. Because I want to spend time with them. See, Jesus is not... We, we in church are so worried about what can you do for the church. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. We should all look at the church and think, man, what can I do to help the church? But understand something, that the motivation for Jesus and the reason that he wants to have a relationship with you is not so that he can use you. See, a lot of us have relationships in this world where the only reason we have a relationship is so we can use that person. We'll be nice to our parents every once in a while because we know every, every, every couple of days we're going to need some cash and our parents got it and we've got to be nice to them if we want them to give us cash. We have friendships because that's, that, that they have something to offer. We, we, we date people because it helps our reputation. And we look at people sometimes and we think, what can you do for me? What can you do to better me? I want to go into a relationship because you're going to help me out. Because you're going to make me look good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be nice to you because you're popular. And if, if you're popular and I become your friend, then I'll be popular. And that's why the only reason I'm being nice is because of what you can do for me. That's not the motivation that Jesus has. 
That's not the reason why Jesus came. It's because what can you do for me? What is it? What do you, what do you got to offer me? What are you going to give to me? See, potential is such a huge word, both in church and in the world. But Jesus is not so much worried about your potential. He's worried about your relationship. He's worried about your availability. He's thinking about whether or not he can have a relationship with you. Whether or not he can spend time with you. God saved you because he looked down and he saw you in a state of destruction. He saw you down in the mud crying out to him. And he said, I'll save them. I'll save that person. I'll, I'll come for them. Not because they have anything to offer me. Not because they, 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 if, I, if I do this for them, they could be a really good preacher. Not because if I do this for them, I, I've called them to be a missionary, and so I need, to, I need to die for them so that they can reach other people. No, Jesus came, and he died for you. And sometimes we're far too focused on the job for Jesus that we miss the relationship with Jesus. And we miss the fact that he looked down and saw us in our worst state and said, that's worth dying for. Jesus didn't look down and see me at the best, you know, at, the, at my best message possible, the best message I've ever preached. And he didn't look back and he didn't look down and see me at that point. But he looked down and he saw me in my worst state when I was surrounded and being destroyed by sin. And he said, that's somebody worth dying for. That's somebody worth giving my life for. Go to, uh, actually, we'll just read it on the screen. It's Proverbs chapter 44. It says this. Do you have that one? Yeah. We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Verse 26. Rise up and help us. Redeem us because of your unfailing love. See, we're down in the ground. We're down in the mud. We're down in the dirt. And God's not going to redeem us because of what we can offer him, but he redeems us because he's got unfailing love for us. Because he desires to have relationship with us. The cause of our relationship is not because of anything that we have to offer, but it's his unfailing love. Sometimes we make it seem like God looks at us and says, I can use that. But the reality is he looks at us and says, I can love that. I can love the unlovable. I... I can go for somebody who doesn't deserve it. I can die for somebody who's not worthy. I can die for somebody who has nothing to offer me. See, how many of us, when we look at our relationships with people, how many of us look at our lives and go, they have absolutely nothing to offer me, yet I want to bless them. The team that just went to the Philippines, really, they didn't have anything to offer it's not like the people in the Philippines were just having, they just got all kinds of cash. And as they came over there, every member of the team was like, here you go, here, here you go, thanks, here you go. But they went over there to a people that couldn't repay them, that really had nothing to offer them. And they said, we want to bless you. And that's, that's the kind of God that we serve. Yeah. See, we need to understand the personality of Jesus. We need to understand his character because the character of God is that compassion is his motivation. It's not about everything that we've got and who we are and how great we are and how talented we can be. But it's about him looking down and loving us and saying, I want a relationship with that. So the first thing that we learn about Jesus in this story is that we learn that compassion is his motivation. The second thing we learn is he's willing You see, we understand, don't touch that. 
Everybody still here? We understand don't touch that. We get don't touch that. We've heard don't touch that. Understand that, like, don't touch that. Man, I know don't touch that since I was a kid. Me and, uh, me and don't touch that used to kick it all the time. We just, we were like best friends. Me and don't touch that. Just all over. Jesus was raised a similar way in the fact that the way that he was raised under Jewish law, he was told that if you see a leper, you don't touch that. No matter what happens, because what happens is this. If there's somebody that's a leper and and you reach down and you touch them, then you go from a state of of being great and perfect. And the second that you touch somebody like that, biblically, you become unclean. And so Jesus was told and Jesus was raised under this law. And he was told this concept. And he was said, lepers, you don't touch them. People that are contaminated with these skin diseases, don't touch that. Okay? Don't touch it. Listen, this is leprosy. Do you get what I'm saying? Leprosy. Contagious skin disease. Anybody, everybody understand what I'm saying? Contagious. That means if I touch somebody who's leprous, I run the chance of catching that. Most of us, when we have somebody coughing around us, we're like, whoa, buddy. All right. Can you try to breathe your own air right now, please? Um, Contagious skin disease. This, this This is not like, oh, he had a scab and Jesus healed him. Or, oh, it was not really a big deal. But this is something that culturally, if he touched him, he became unclean. Most of us, if we're put in this situation, we'll be like, yeah, dude, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll pray for you. You stay there, and I'll, I'll do the whole, like, because, like, sometimes when I, I don't want to get out of my seat to lay my hands on somebody at church, sometimes I'll just stick my hand out. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And so I'll just stick my hand out and pray for you. But that's not what we see from Jesus. We see this guy at the feet of Jesus begging him. For healing. And Jesus does something incredible. It says he reaches out. But if the guy is at his feet, then really he reaches down. And he touches this guy. Even though this guy probably did not deserve it. Even though this guy was not worthy. Jesus reaches down. And touches him and says, I am willing. That is an incredible doctrinal statement. He is willing. See, so many of us think that we're in a state in our own lives where we're unworthy to be loved by God. Where, where we don't deserve it and where we didn't earn it. And so because of that, we think God will not be willing to accept us anymore. We think that God is not going to be there for us. We think that we can't turn to God. We think that we can't run to God. But Jesus, his personality is this willing. His personality says this, I will do this for you. If you need healing, I will bring you healing. If you need redemption, I will bring redemption. Not because of anything you have to offer. Not because you're great. Not because you're awesome. But because I love you. Because I care about you. Because I have compassion for where you're at. Amen. Uh, Jesus, Jesus meets us where we are. And that's something that we sometimes lose in church. Because in church, we got to get everything right. 
We got to get all our T's crossed, all our I's dotted. We got to make sure that any tattoos we have, we like cheese grate those bad boys off before we come. Ow. We, 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 we're intense about it. We got we to gotta come to God perfect. We got to come to God. We got to fix all of our stuff before God will accept us. But you got to understand something. Jesus will meet you where you are. I never heard the message. I just seen the video. And I love it every time. Well, he showed the video like three or four times of the master's trip. And every time Casey got up and he said, Jesus would rather have you broken than not have you at all. He's like, man, I'm like, like, oh man, that that is an intense statement. That is maybe like one of the greatest theological, one of the most in, intense statements I've ever heard in church. Because God will accept you where you're at. And sometimes in church, even leaders and pastors, we say, oh yeah, God accepts you, but here's, change this, 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 and this. And then, then you'll really be accepted by God. No, no, no. God accepts you right where you're at. God accepts you in the position where you're at. Here's this guy. He's got leprosy, contagious skin disease. If Jesus touches him, he practically and essentially ruins his ministry. It's over. His ministry should be over if he touches this guy. He wasn't worth it. He he didn't deserve it. And yet, Jesus had compassion and was willing to reach down. And touch this guy. And say, I am willing to do this. I'm willing. It doesn't have anything to do with you. It has to do with me. Whatever position you're at, Jesus will come to you. Don't try and get yourself perfect before you decide it's time to get your, your life right with God. Man, I, gotta, I would come to church. And I really would come to church. But man, I just, I'm going through some stuff. And I really need to get my, got to get my life right before I go back. Now come to church and get your life right, wherever you're at. Because the God that we serve and the God that we preach is the God that will meet you wherever you are. He will find you and save you wherever you are. The Bible is very clear on our position before Jesus. We're condemned to hell. And without Jesus, no matter how much we try, no matter how much we try to be a good person, no matter how much we try to change all these things about ourselves, no matter what goes on, we're still condemned to hell. But Jesus came to take us out of the pit. Jesus came to take us out of that condemnation. John uh, 6, 38 says this, For I have come down from heaven... Not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And that's so incredible that Jesus came down. Philippians puts it this way, that Jesus did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. That means he already had it. He already was God. And he's up in heaven. He looks down at man and he sees us in our sin. He sees us in the pit. He takes off his, his, godly, his godly crown. He takes off his godly robe. And he comes down in the form of a man. And says, I will humble myself so that I can reach these people. See, the very story of our redemption talks of how Jesus came to our level. 
And yet so many times we find ourselves saying, I, if I, I'll get this right. If I, just, if, I, I, you know, if I just get this right, then I'll go to Jesus. If I, just, if I can just clean this part of my life up, if I can just fix this, if I, can just, if I can just make myself better, then I'll go to Jesus. But the problem is this, we can never make ourselves better. We rely solely and fully on Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. That ought to get some like, amens, hallelujahs, that's good, clap, do whatever it takes. Because we, re- we rely on Jesus and him alone. It is not by our own works. It's not by our own efforts. It's about what Jesus did. Amen? The man is on his knees and begging Jesus. And Jesus reaches down and touches him. I just... I think it's an incredible story and it tells us the personality of Jesus. It tells us some of, the, some of the things about Jesus, some of the characteristics about his life and what he was really like. But one of the, I think, great things about this story is that as much as we hear the story of Jesus, we also hear the story of the leper. It shows us Jesus' power, shows us his personality, shows us what it was like, shows us his character. But it also tells us the story of the leper. See, because we don't really relate to Jesus all that well. We're already in the pit. But we can relate to this leper guy. What you got to understand is he was the guy that moms would say, don't touch that. Don't, don't get near that. In the Old Testament, lepers were, uh, were pretty common. Many times that you read about a leper, it's, it's something that God does to punish them because of pride. But we don't know why this guy was in this state. We don't know why he had leprosy. We don't know if it was just something that he caught from somebody else or if it was something that God had done to him as, as kind of a wake up, pay attention, get rid of your pride. We don't know what it was. But we know this, that at some point in his life, he reached the point where he was desperate for healing. We, he reached the point where he became absolutely relying on what Jesus had to offer. See, in America, we, we don't have to rely on Jesus because we got insurance. We can insure, we can insure our pets. You hear what I'm saying to you? We can insure everything. We can insure our boats. We can insure our motorcycles. Motorcycles, anybody? We, we can insure our cars, we can insure our children, we can insure our health, we can insure our lives, and we can insure our pets. We don't need God. We got insurance. But you take a trip to another country, to one of the third world countries, and you realize something. It's God or it's nothing. There's no other option. And this guy reached a point where he said, it's God or it's nothing. Go with me to the book of Leviticus. I'm going to flip there. Leviticus chapter 13. It's one of the first books in the Bible. What is that? Seriously. 13. Everybody understand why this happens? Leviticus chapter 13, I'm going to start in verse 45. If you there, say amen. amen. All right. The person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkept, cover the lower part of his face, and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! 
As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. Now, see, listen. Here's this guy, right? And it's leprosy. And we don't really understand that in our culture today because if we're sick, we just go to the doctor. But understand something that the law required that if you had leprosy back in the day, then you had to do those things. You had to keep your hair unkept, which for the guys were just like, that's cool. Give me my Dodger hat. We're good. I'm uh, not worried about the hair. Some of you ladies would be like, you'd go to the priest and they'd be like, hey, that's leprosy. You'd be like, can I take my, can I take my straightener? They're like, no, no, go. Get out. Get, get out. Get out. Get out. And you're like, okay. And some of you ladies would rather die than go without your hair done. Nobody here? Okay, cool. That's no. <laughs> Some of you guys would rather die. The guys are just like, whatever, dude. I throw a ball cap on. doesn't matter to me. I don't need to do my hair. It's all good. No, no biggie. Got a beanie. I'm set. We're walking around looking like Gollum with stringy hair going down. And here, and you got to go outside the camp, and you have to wear a mask over your face, over the lower part of your face. And any time that anybody approached you, you had to declare unclean, unclean. Anytime anybody got around you, you had to declare what your failure was. Anytime that anybody was close, you had to say sinner. Anytime that anybody was close, you had to say not worthy. I don't deserve this. Anytime that anybody was close, you had to confess. Man, what if, we can't, what if I made you come to church? And every time we walked in the doors, we're like, you got to confess your sins right here in front of everybody. Y'all, we'd have a ministry of me. No one else would show up. Yet in the Old Testament, the requirement for this guy under the law in which he lived was he was to walk around outside the camp. He couldn't spend time inside the camp. He had to leave and go outside. And anytime anybody approached them, they had to know exactly what was wrong with him. And so here's this guy. And he reaches a point of desperation for Jesus. And the law requires that he is to stand outside. And yet, if we, read, we don't read this in the book of Mark, but we read it in the book of Matthew, same story. Jesus gets done teaching on the mountain. And he, part of one of the main points of the sermon that Jesus just preached up on this mountain is, I did not come to abolish the law, I came to complete the law. So I didn't, I didn't come to get rid of the law, I came to complete the law. And so Jesus walks down from the mountain. And here's this leper. And the requirement of the law that Jesus just said he was here to complete, the requirement for the law for this guy was that when Jesus approached him, he was supposed to have a, 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 a cloth over the bottom half of his face and he was supposed to yell out unclean. And sometimes we make people come to church and do that exact same thing. Man, you want to come to this church, you better confess all of your sins right here, right now. You better get all that stuff out in the open. And here's this guy, and he, the law requires, and this is a requirement of the law, that he's supposed to come to Jesus and say, unclean, unclean. Yet we don't see that, do we? He throws himself at the feet of Jesus and says, God, if you're willing, I know that you can heal me. 
God, if you're willing, I know that you can change me. God, if you're willing, I know that you can save me. I'm messed up. I'm screwed up. I don't deserve it. But God, you'll save me if you're willing. Proverbs 16.26 says, The laborer's appetite works for him. His hunger drives him on. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus is he's, he's walking along and his disciples are picking up. They're walking through a grain field and his disciples are grabbing the grain and they're breaking it up and they're popping the kernels into their mouth. And some super religious people see this. And they say, Jesus, this is the Sabbath. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do that. That you're supposed to just not do any kind of work on the Sabbath. The law requires for you to not work on the Sabbath. A lot of us would love that law. Man, that would be sweet. Every Sunday you don't do nothing. You sit on the couch. You enjoy yourself. All right. I like that law. I'll live by that law. But here's, here's these religious people. And Jesus' answer to them. I love Jesus because he always answers with a question. Anybody ever notice that? Jesus very rarely answers some of these questions. And sometimes we pray out to God and we're praying to God and we're like, God, would you just say, I need this. Can you answer this for me? And we're like, we're always asking God for answers. But a lot of the times God knows that we already have the answers. He just needs to ask us the right questions. And so they come to him and they say, Jesus, that's unlawful. They're not supposed to do that. And Jesus said, did you not hear what David and his companions did when he was hungry. They went in to the temple and they ate bread that they had no right to eat. And yet, Jesus doesn't condemn them for that. See, they broke the law. They broke They broke the law. And here's Jesus using David as an example of what the relationship is really supposed to be like. Here's this guy. The law requires very specific things of him. He's supposed to remain outside. See, the law will always condemn us to the outside of relationship. But the love of Jesus compels us to come inside. And even though the law requires for this guy to act a certain way, he runs to the feet of Jesus and begins to beg him for healing, begins to beg him for change, begins to beg him, God, would you just do something in my life? Would you just change something? God, I just, I can't live this way anymore. We don't know this guy. We don't know his background. We don't know his story. But we know at some point he reached the place where he said, it's all Jesus or it's nothing. See, because all the law can do is convince us how wrong we are. And Jesus has compassion for where we're at. And so this guy throws himself at the feet of Jesus. And the God that we serve says, I love you and I'm willing. I love you and I'm willing. No matter what you did, 
no matter what the law requires for you to do, if you throw yourself at the feet of Jesus, he's willing. And sometimes we don't want to reach that point of desperation because the law will hold us back. And I got to be good enough. I got to try harder. I'm not doing the Ten Commandments good enough. I, I got to do this better. I got to do that better. And, and here's Jesus saying, come to me. Run to me. I'll heal you. I'll save you. You don't got to get yourself perfect. You don't have to get a good doctrine. You don't got to go to Bible college. You don't have to spend six months in youth church. You just run to me. Run to me. And I'll bring the healing you need. Run to me. And I will redeem you. I'm willing. And have everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. See, I'm not trying to tell you that the law is bad. I'm not trying to tell you we should just, you know, throw away the Old Testament. It doesn't matter anymore. What I'm telling you is this. There are churches full of people pursuing the law and not pursuing Jesus. And as long as you pursue the law, the only thing that will ever come of that is a condemnation of guilt and a requirement for you to stand and confess what's wrong with you and to, and, and to always let everybody know that you're messed up, that you're a sinner and the law continually repeats to you, you're a failure you can't make it, you're not good enough but if we run to Jesus his grace is sufficient his mercies are new every day. See, a lot of people think that, well, we got we to gotta, we gotta make sure that we hit these specific points. And we really got to let people know that they're sinners and they need Jesus. But my Bible says that it's the kindness of God that leads men to repentance. If you have answered an altar call because you were scared that you would go to hell, let me tell you something. There is such a better relationship that Jesus desires with you than just getting you out of hell. He desires to be with you. He desires to spend time with you. He desires. He came down from heaven. He came down from where he was to be with us. Where are we at tonight, church? What position do we find ourselves in? Do we find ourselves in a position of pride and arrogance thinking we'll do it by ourselves? We'll do it by the law. And I'm talking to Master's Commission students. I'm talking to pastors, leaders, anybody in this room who's relying on their own efforts and relying on the law and saying, this is how I live. This is my standards. And not relying on Jesus. And not running to Jesus. And not depending on Jesus. If you're here in this place, I got two questions for you.